0: So is it really possible to buy a business that'll put 500 grand in your pocket every year? Let's explore it. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things. I talk to interesting people and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe and let's get to it. Hey, everyone, welcome back Uh, today. I've got a great question. This was a comment uh, left by viewer who goes by the handle future one. Future One was watching the video that I had made uh, a few weeks ago called The Fastest Way to 500,000K Income, which in which I tore apart a Twitter thread in which somebody was proposing a plan to buy a business that would create $500,000 of, of profit or revenue for that business buyer. And uh, so Future's comment was, and I'll, I'll read it here, David, I just want to ask you only one thing. Is it ever possible to buy a good business generating $500,000 of income? Have you seen any happy buyers? Because all I see is the negative content in every single industry. Great, great question. Let's let's explore this. Okay. So, There's your perspective based on what you're seeing online. So you're out there, you're watching YouTube, you're following people on Twitter, all that kind of stuff. So there's what you're seeing, and then there's sort of what is not happening. And and I talk about this quite frequently, actually, especially in my long format conversations, uh, like the holiday chats and things, because people who are talking about something in a public venue on the internet, for example, they usually are motivated to bring that into the public for one reason or another. And other people are certainly not motivated in the same way. So, uh, for example, I've had uh, Mark Willis on to my show for a couple of interviews about um, using whole life insurance, for example, to, to build up equity and how this can help you in personal wealth and finance and stuff like that. But when you go out there and type anything to do with investing into the internet, what are you going to find is a whole bunch of conversations about the stock market and mutual funds and options. Why? Well, because there's a whole bunch of people out there that sell those things that have huge budgets because, and and, and they're out there promoting that, right? And so oftentimes when we want to know what's really happening, what is happening in the public space, the conversations we can observe are not actually reflective of reality. So I've got a, f- a few comments here, right, that I've, m- I've made down about this particular question. So is it possible to buy a good business generating $500,000 of income? Okay. So there is an entire industry called private equity where they work full time looking at deals. And uh, there's a video I made a few years ago called Chicago Big Wig versus the pigs and the pegs. And in that video, I explain why the $500,000 of EBITDA is um, typically for most industries, sort of the, the demarcation line, in my opinion, because there's a lot of different opinions out there, uh, is the demarcation line between Main Street and middle market. Because if you buy a business that has an EBITDA of $500,000 and there's been a fair market um, adjustment for the wage of the owner, it means that that business is big enough that a non-industry financially oriented type of buyer like a private investment group could buy that business and employ a professional manager to run it for them right and so that means that you can have like numbers people buy the business put their person in charge and then sit back and analyze you know spreadsheets and results and all that kind of thing right without really knowing everything there is to know about that particular industry that, that they can afford to pay the pro to come in so that whole industry wouldn't exist if it weren't possible to buy good operating businesses. Now, if you wanna look at average net profit rates and all that kind of stuff, what does a business with $500,000 of profit really look like? It's probably a business that has north of 4 million in sales, right? It's probably got four, five, six million 6 million in sales, right? So we're talking about a pretty big company And when we're talking about $500,000 of EBITDA, and if that is the demarcation point in that industry for the middle market, it means that the multipliers are going to be expanding for enterprise value. So we're not gonna be buying this thing at 2.1 times that number. We're gonna be paying three, four, five, maybe more, depending on the type of industry, right? So now we have to ask ourselves, does a guy, even if, and I don't know the future, even if you are a, a very wealthy, successful individual with other businesses under your belt, do you have the ability to put together a deal to buy a business of that size, given that a selling price could be two to three million and compete with the likes of the private equity groups who've got access to cheaper capital, they can borrow for less, they've got pools of investors who can throw in money to make bigger, you know, right buy businesses with bigger checks. Many private equity groups will and they're and they're all individual and they're all different, but they could write a check out of their own funds to buy the business and then go leverage it up after, for example. Right. So how does the regular Main Street business buyer compete with those types of people? It's it's difficult. Right. And so most of the time, the businesses that are the good businesses with this kind of revenue, they're not going to be listed. On biz by sell for you, right? Let's think about the sort of ecosystem or the flow of a seller who decides to sell. So let's say somebody owns such a business today. They're they've got a five hundred thousand dollar EBITDA, and they're running their business. That pers- person's business is big enough that they're not hiding under the radar, typically, right? They can be identified by someone who's already decided that industry is right for them. So this person is receiving communications, emails, letters, phone calls, other solicitations on LinkedIn, for example, from people in that private equity industry who are saying, Hey, would you like to sell your business? Right? And so if that person were so inclined, what are they going to do? Hire a broker and put it on biz by sell. They're going to engage with those people that are reaching out to them. Right? And so it's, Impossible to know the true numbers, but it is largely believed that out of all the privately controlled businesses that trade hands, about 80% of them do so without an intermediary. So there's a buyer and a seller, private deal, off market, whatever term you want to use. And so these businesses exist, they are being sold and the business buyers who acquire them are probably not out on the internet. In in the in the world of search funders and the world of people who are doing this sort of, uh, you know, ETA through public visibility, and there's a few of these people on Twitter that I've started to run into. They are out there talking about the deals that they're doing, and they're talking about the positives of these deals. And so there's a few, very tiny handful of people talking about this. But most of these people are going to do the deal. They don't want anyone to know. They don't want to attract anyone else into the space. They found, you know, their opportunity. Now they want to do it again. The last thing they want to do is be telling the world that they're doing good deals in a given opportunity. They want to keep it for themselves. So they're not going to let it be known that they've been doing these successful deals. So which ones end up over on the big business for sale websites, right? So, Business owner who does not get solicited and decides on their own, they want to sell their business or maybe they get approached by a private equity group and they can't make a deal and then they say, you know what, maybe I should sell. Well, what are they going to do next? They're going to try and find a buyer. Most business sellers that I've ever talked with do not want to pay a broker. Right. It's They see it as an expense. Many business owners have overcome a lot of obstacles and challenges in the operation of their business. And so a lot of them believe that they can pull off the deal of selling a business on their own or they'll think I can hire my CPA. I can hire my attorney or maybe I need a different attorney or whatever. And uh, with their help or I I found this guy on YouTube named David, he's going to give me some advice, too. And so they piece together their own sort of team, advisory team, and they decide to find their own buyer on their own and they do their own deal. They never go to a broker. Right. So a lot of deals get done this way. How do they get done? Well, if you're a Ford dealer, for example, in a mid-sized market and you have a business of this size, you already know all the other Ford dealers in all the neighboring counties and states. So if you decide you want to sell, my guess would be you're just going to contact other Ford dealers, right? They already know the business inside and out. They already understand what the industry is like. They already have a relationship with Ford, right? And so this is why you see within the car dealership world, a lot of the time uh, these dealerships are being sold to other companies that own multiple dealerships, right? So that's a natural way to exit. And do you need a broker? Well, you know, brokers are going to argue that they would help maximize that deal on the part of the seller. A lot of sellers would believe perhaps that even if they don't get the best number without the expense of the broker, they're still going to be ahead. And that's you know, that's the question of market efficiency. That's the value proposition that brokers have to make to these business owners. And so I know of tons and tons of deals where people have not used a broker. They've exited in this kind of way. Those Ford dealers who make the acquisition, they're going to be touting how happy they are to grow their family of dealerships. They're going to be saying how great it is to now be you know, selling Fords in the new city. But they're not going to be boasting about the numbers online. Right. So, future, you're not going to hear those kinds of conversations online, right? So, the people who are not able to find a buyer on their own, um, and and I made a video a couple of years ago about how to exit a business without a broker, and so which talks about more of these kinds of things, but uh, that that we'll have a link to here. So. If I didn't sell my business to private equity and I didn't find my own buyer through professional or networks or associations or or whatnot, and I still want to sell, what am I left with? Well, then I open up my drawer and I find all the letters and postcards and solicitations from all the business brokers who've been reaching out to me for the last few years. And I start to look at those and I contact some of those people. And then I meet with them and uh, now we're going to take a look at my business and these brokers are going to tell me what they think they can sell my business for. Right. And so the good, qualified brokers who see my business as a good business to be sold, they're going to give me a realistic valuation, a realistic timeline. Maybe they already have some idea of who might be the buyer. And so if I sign on with them and my expectations are properly set, They're going to do up a package. They're going to reach out to the people they already know probably are buying businesses like mine, and they may do a deal without ever putting it online. And I've spoken to many brokers who've done many deals and have listings that are not on the public business for sale websites. Right. So those deals happen, too. If the broker can't find anyone who's willing to buy the business, then they may list it online. Right. And if it's fairly priced, it won't last long. If it's, if it's got a realistic price, buyers are, are who are waiting for that kind of listing are going to jump on it. They're going to compete with each other. What Ted Leverett describes as buyer competition. They're going to jump on that. They're going to maybe bid it up a little bit and a deal will be done in fairly short order, right? Now, if the business owner meets the wrong kind of broker, who is overly aggressive with their normalizing adjustments and who is overly aggressive and doesn't set a realistic expectation for me in what um, my business might really sell for. They inflate the price. They inflate my expectation, inflate my ego. That business then ends up on one of these online marketplaces and the asking price is way too high. It doesn't make sense. That listing is going to languish for a while and the buyers who come and take a look at it and start to analyze the ad backs and start to look at you know hey i think there's a problem here this doesn't quite make sense or yeah it earns 500k but only in the last year you know did it profit from covid you know what's going on here uh there's no reliable track record of this kind of earning etc all of these problems that i see all the time when people reach out to me um that business is going to sit there for a while and then that business May be acquired by someone who's simply looking at these websites. And then, if it turns out that there was some, you know, shenanigans going on in the normalization or things aren't really as sustainable as was presented, that person then ends up with a business who isn't performing that isn't performing as well. And that person is angry. Right. And so, that person, that buyer who thought they were going to be buying a business that was earning half a million dollars a year suddenly is not but they paid a price commensurate with that level of earnings. Maybe they maxed out, you know, an SBA loan, they have got 90% leverage. And now that the earnings have declined, you know, they can't afford to pay themselves. They're angry, right? They, They put themselves in a bad place. And this is why you may be seeing some of this kind of content online. So to answer your question, is it possible? Sure it is. Um, Can you do it? Depends on your resources. Right. And I would say that for the, 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 the the largest group of business buyers are the individual people who want to buy a business, individual investor. And within that group, the biggest portion of them are people who are going to step into the management owner role and they're going to buy the business. They're going to go there every day. They're going to work there every day. They're going to run this business. Okay. That's the biggest group. And so my, My advice a lot of the time to these people is to avoid the higher valuation middle market, come into the main street, but below that pig peg line, buy a business that you're familiar with so that you can work on growing it. And hopefully over the course of time, either organically or maybe through another acquisition or a tuck in, you grow it across that pig peg line. And now you can exit at some point in the future at a higher multiple. Like that's, that would be a classic strategy for someone who wanted to do this kind of thing. So they're out there. Uh, Remember, as a buyer, the only leverage you can ever apply in negotiation is a willingness to not do a deal. And so this is why it's so important to make sure that the deal works for you and to only make offers that are going to work for you and to not get overly excited and, and go into a heated negotiation where you keep pushing the line and you end up paying too much. That's not where you want to be, because as long as you can do a deal that works for you and you've taken into account the potential risks and the potential downside of whether things could, you know, if, if you're buying a business at its peak and you're worried it could crest off a little bit, well, there's two ways to deal with that. You can deal with it by getting a better deal, which the seller isn't going to like, or you can deal with it through structuring the deal in such a way that if it turns out the business doesn't carry on in its performance, you then get a break on the price after the fact. And back in 2019 or early 2020, um, I actually, I was predicting that 2020 was going to bring us a recession. I didn't think the pandemic was coming, but I I thought that we were ripe for a recession. And so uh, within my program, Business Buyer Advantage, which you can learn more at businessbuyeradvantage.com, I created a module on how to buy a business in a recession or on the cusp of a recession. And it was talking specifically about how to manage the risk of a business's performance declining after you do the deal. And so Future, if this is particularly your concern, then you would find that module very uh, interesting because I show you a couple of different ways that you can structure it so that there's recourse. So that if things don't work out the way you thought, there's either recourse to the price, recourse to debt relief, or recourse in the payment structure. So that if there's a temporary downturn, you at least have better cash flow management. Anyway, I hope that answers your question. Um, All of you, buying a business, in my opinion, is less risky than starting one but you're still talking about investing capital into what is the most risky category of asset. Don't ever forget that. There's something called Exter's Pyramid of Liquidity, which was created by a 1950 central banker, John Exter, I believe his name is. It's an upside down triangle. And at the bottom of the triangle is the most um, liquid of all assets. And he put gold down there. And then there was like cash and then you know, treasury bonds and, you know, the secure bonds, uh, debt of big public companies. And like he works his way up the classes of risk. And the reason why he was doing that is he was saying like in a crisis, people always try to stretch to more liquid assets. So people that own stocks want to be in treasury bonds and people that own treasury bonds want to be in cash and people who own cash want to be in gold, for example. And so he was trying to create a risk framework. And privately controlled businesses were at the like the very top level of his pyramid because we're talking about a highly illiquid asset. Um, you could buy a business and you could buy a business in a couple of months after negotiation, due diligence, financing, all that kind of stuff. And then if you decide you don't like it, it could take you years to get out. They're highly illiquid, highly risky businesses, the vast majority of businesses that are established long-term businesses are still not going to be around in 50 years or 40 years or 30 years, right? They're not like houses or apartment buildings. They're not tangible things that with proper maintenance are going to last forever. A business at its core is a system where money, people, and capital, such as machinery, equipment, et cetera, operate together to produce a cash flow. All kinds of forces are acting against that, right? You've got regulatory forces from the government. You've got competitive forces from other people in the industry. You've got other changing you know, factors in the marketplace. Demographics might be changing in the marketplace that the business is in, meaning fewer and fewer people are in the market for the product or service, what have you. All of these forces are acting against it at all times. So there are risks in business. And the one thing you don't want to do, Is put your last nickel into a deal because, regardless of what happens, most problems can be fixed with money. And so, you always want to make sure you have some extra. And this is why buying businesses is not something I recommend for broke people. If you head over to business uh, davidcbarnett.com, there is a tab, there's a, a menu bar. If you're on your mobile phone, you have to like tap the thing that shows the menu. There is a section called buy a business with no money where I have all the videos I've created over the years that address this question of, is it really possible to buy a business with no money? And while some people may be able to pull it off and I show examples of people actually doing it, I also highlight the risks that they face and the position that they're putting themselves in. Anyway, with that, head over to businessbuyeradvantage.com if you wanna learn how to buy a business, we have to do the commercial, that's what this is about. Um, And uh, I will see you next time. Future, thanks for your question. Best of luck, and to everyone else out there, I'll see you next time. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, et cetera. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest special thanks go out to jeff alpaw customs for being my tailor men all around the world can look dangerous just like me with the help of jeff alpaw customs jeffalpaw.com use the code dcb10 to save they handle multiple currencies and ship anywhere you happen to be of course no one looks as dangerous as my limited edition blue jays spider-man went to uh Superhero Day on Saturday took my son to a Jays game um, and they're giving these out for free. Isn't that cool? All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for staying to the end.